0: Thank you, Dr. John DeLynn. Um, John DeLynn is a podcaster, nonprofit CEO, activist, public speaker, religions religious transitions coach. He's an expert in understanding and supporting people experiencing religious faith crises and transitions. And John has a master's in instructional technology, but a PhD in clinical and counseling psychology. And his clinical training and research interests revolve around the nexus of religion and mental health, with an emphasis on navigating religious faith crises, as well as navigating the LGBTQ religious identity conflict. John, I'm so delighted to have you on uh, my podcast, and let me just uh, share with our audience that, um, I don't know, was it two years ago or so that you reached out to me to be on your Mormon Stories podcast? That's what
1: you've been doing for how many years, John? 16 years. And Steve, can I, yeah, can I just say, you're a legend, and I'm so honored to be on your new show. Congratulations.
0: Well, I'm awed and honored to have you as a friend and colleague. And uh, honestly, when you first reached out to me and said, I want to interview from my podcast, Mormon Mormon stories. I was like, "Do I really want to do this?" And then I read further. I read the New York Times where you were disfellowshipped from the Mormons. The, the I was. Latter-day I was actually.
1: Ex, I was actually excommunicated from the church in two thousand. Excommunicated. Yeah. Pardon me. Yeah. No. 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 Ex, it's, it's an extra honor. So I. Yes, it's a higher level of shunning. Yeah. Uh, or, or of. Uh, or of. Uh, Acknowledgement of having made a, a positive impact. <laughs> a
0: thousand percent. From where I sit, you are just helped so many people. But I just want to share when you when you first contacted me, you know, I I think I looked at your TED talk and heard your story. I'm like, this guy's really cool. And then I just took a risk and I said, John, I'll do the the podcast, but would you please be willing to read Combating Cult Mind Control? My my book, and you said, Oh, sure, send it along. And then I'll never forget, I think it was a day or two later, you emailed me, Your book is blowing my mind. Yeah. And then you sent me a color coded version of my bite model of authoritarian control, which I had never thought to color code. Brilliant idea. I said, John, great idea. Mind <laughs> if I use it? You're like, Go for it, dude. <laughs> and, um, and I've just been learning about the LDS. I mean, the truth is, is I got interested initially uh, due to the fundamentalist Latter Day Saints cult, and was asked to help people in that. And was asked by the state attorney generals of Utah and Arizona to do a training to help folks to understand what the mindset was. But then I got an invitation from the Ex Mormon Foundation to come to Salt Lake City and share my my stuff. At the time, I think it was around 2000 when releasing the Bonds game out, and I was like, sure, I'll come. And I was exposed to 250 former members, yeah. many fourth and fifth generation. Yeah, And it was such a learning experience for me. And I was like, well, I guess the Latter-day Saints are a destructive cult based on the bobbing heads in my presentation <laughs> throughout it. But it's been a learning learning thing. And John, um, I just really want to give you a chance to share, like for everyone who has Mormon friends who are very lovely people, and I agree, wonderful people, kind, uh, very involved with politics, business, government, Um all kinds of 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 important, you know, behaviors. But uh, what's this group about? Its history <laughs> and what have you come to learn? Because when I heard you on Sarah Edmondson's a little bit culty, uh, Sarah and Nippy. I don't want to leave out her husband. Uh, their podcast. I was like, boy, John's really evolved since the last time <laughs> I've talked with him about cults. So the the floor is your, John. <laughs> Please tell us, you know, how this affects so many millions of people. First of all, how many people are in the Mormons, as far as you know, and how many
1: have left already? So, uh, so again, it's such an honor to be here, Steve. Your work, uh, your bite model, your your book, "Combating Cult Mind Control," has penetrated deeply within the ex Mormon communities. Uh, I reference it maybe every other podcast, and we're like fifteen hundred episodes in. And, uh, no, really, I just want to say again, thank you so much for your groundbreaking work. Um, so, so, uh, yeah, so the, the church, the, the name of our church formally is the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We are known throughout the world as Mormons, uh, historically speaking, uh, the, the, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has been around since 1830 when it was formally organized in upstate New York by. A prophet named Joseph Smith? Someone who claimed to be a prophet, if I'm sure. Yeah. Interrupt. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, In my business, there are so many prophets and apostles.
1: And, but anyway, sorry to interrupt. And and we can jump into a little bit of uh, church history if you want. But to answer your question,
0: whatever you want, I'd like people to come away from this podcast with a little more groundedness in like, this is not. The, the concerns we have are not about the faith uh, I, or the spiritual things. It's really about the control yeah. of this, basically, group where it claims to have a living prophet yeah. who gets direct revelations and thinks that he knows better than everybody
1: else on the planet. Yeah, that's exactly you just described, uh, the modern Mormon church and the historical Mormon church. To To answer your question— the, the church boasts around 16 plus million members across the world. What they don't do one of the one of the many things they don't do, uh, the, the, the Mormon Church is not great on transparency. They don't publish the activity rates of their membership but those who kind of have been able to peek behind the curtains or read the tea leaves uh, will will know that the church has no more than three to four million members. Who are kind of active and who self-identify as Mormons worldwide. The church is absolutely in free fall. It is uh shrinking. I mean, the growth rate right now is less than one percent, but but the only thing keeping the Mormon church's growth rate alive is the birth rate. And the birth rate is in free fall as well. So within a few years, it's projected that the Mormon church will literally be in decline. But I think One of the important points I think you're, you're making, or at least you may have alluded to is that if you take all the people baptized into the Mormon church throughout the world, two to three to four times the number that have been baptized have left the church. So ex-Mormons outweigh active, faithful, believing Mormons, like three to one, um, So is that forty five million, or is my math terrible as a
0: guesstimate? Three
1: to four, somewhere between three and four million, um, out of sixteen. So the church claims sixteen million. I would say no more than three to four million are actively participating. Active, but how many have left? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So eleven. So, so probably. 12 to 13 million have left the church, yeah. I see. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you look at the census, like the church will claim a million members in Mexico or a million members in Brazil. I don't have the exact numbers. But then you actually look at the census, and the church has like 10% activity rates. One of the things you don't know, you you know, the the Book of Mormon musical came out, and the feature of the I book— Saw it. Of, yeah, it's great. I've seen it like four <laughs> times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The Book of Mormon musical features missionaries because that's kind of the most publicly visible aspect of Mormonism to most of the world. We kind of rival the Jehovah's Witnesses in terms of our proselyting uh, commitment and expertise. But, uh, but, you know, what what is not known about Mormon missionaries is they often prey on developing countries like Latin America, like the Philippines, like Africa. And I don't think this is unique to the Mormon church. But, yeah. it, you know, so the church will claim over half its global membership resides outside the United States, which is statistically true. But if you actually peek under the covers in places like uh, Latin America or the Philippines, the activity rates there, one in 10 of the members the church claims are actually actively participating. So it's it's really a numbers game. Uh, the church for many, many years claimed to be the, the fastest growing religion in the world. It wasn't really true then, and it's not true now, but the church has had to back off of that because the church is literally about to become a shrinking church. Just like Scientology, I might add, richer, the the, the Mormon church, I, I should also just say at the top, the Mormon church, you know, Scientology, I, I, I listen to Leah Remini and Mike Rinder. I know they're friends of yours. Me they, too. You yeah. guys, they've had you on their wonderful podcast going, uh, fair game, Uh, you know, I, I heard them complaining once that Scientology has so much money. They have like $2 billion, you know, and, and I, and i kind of joke to them and I say, hold our root beer, uh, Leah Remini and Mike Rinder, hold hold our root beer Scientologists. The Mormon church has at least, is at least worth somewhere between two and $400 billion in assets. And, uh, it's soon to be a trillion dollar. It is the most wealthy church in the United States. By far, no one comes close. The, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has at least $150 billion just in cash, stock, bonds, municipalities, and real estate investments. And that's not counting its core corporate assets. So we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollar corporate church, if not a trillion dollar church. Super, and they're very active in
0: politics. So we'll get into a little bit yeah. about politics for a minute. But that the numbers are staggering. Yeah, and of course we know that money, you know, uh, uh, buys influence with politics, with PR companies, etc. But I want to just circle back for a minute and just give give our listeners a little bit about Joseph Smith and. How, what was wrong with the founder in the first place that you discovered? And you were raised in it, right? I, so this was yeah. something you only came to way later. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about the founder and the Yeah, history. so
1: I am a sixth-generation Mormon, which means my ancestors were amongst the original members of the church. They migrated from England because of Mormon missionaries. Joseph Smith sent missionaries to England almost immediately after forming the church so my ancestors come from England uh you know joined in the 1830s and 40s crossed the wow. plains as mormon pioneers my i i uh, i mentioned this elsewhere my grandmother was literally the daughter of a polygamous marriage so even though the you know modern day mormons like to totally distance themselves from mormonism um from which po- is, and from polygamy too yeah, sorry that's what i meant from polygamy yeah my mm-hmm. my little grandmother who i knew before she passed away she was the daughter of a second or a third wife. So that's how close uh, Mormon polygamy is to me. Um, yeah, so uh, so I go way back. And just to tell you a little bit about the founding of the Mormon church, there are just uncanny similarities between our founder, Joseph Smith, and L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, and uh, Keith Ranieri, the founder of um, Next to And by the mm-hmm. way, the, 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 the similarities with both of those humans are just unbelievable. So, Joseph Smith, before he started Mormonism, he was a literal convicted con artist. Uh, and that's not hyperbole, that is a matter of legal record. Uh, treasured. And it's
0: important to highlight because Keith Ranieri had problems and Hubbard had problems. And, you know, this cult leader profile, uh, they think they're above the law. Yeah, absolutely. They're just like malignant narcissists. Continue, yeah. please.
1: Yeah, so believe it or not, this is something that some people don't know. Back in the 16 and 1700s uh, in colonial America, there was all this rumor that either pirates or conquistadors or N- Native Americans had buried gold or treasure in the hills, you've got all these super poor farmers that are just trying to make a living. And whenever you've got someone super poor, like you know with MLMs, they're yeah. always dreams of wealth, of, of quick wealth. And so yeah. you would have, even Benjamin Franklin writes about this in the early 1700s. You would have these charlatans lead gullible uh, farmers, you know, New England farmers, on these treasure digs, where where there'd be someone who said, "I have special powers to find buried treasure." They'd get a group of farmers together, collect a bunch of money, uh, take them along through the forest or through the hillside and take them to a place and say, oh, I've got this magic stone and I can see underground and there's buried treasure under there, start digging. And then they would start digging. And then all of a sudden, right before they were supposed to find the treasure, the the treasure seeker guide, the seer or the scryer, uh, which were the terms that were used at the time uh, for the, or glass looker was another term. Uh, the, the, the charlatan would say, whoops, a spirit uh, that was guarding the treasure. You know, you said a bad word or you didn't kill the chicken quite right. When you dripped the blood, you didn't quite do it right. So the, the magic spirits took the treasure away. Sorry. Thanks for the money. Take it. You, you, so
0: blame, blame the victims Always. of
1: the con. They're always perfect. They always their powers are perfect. Blame reversal. You always blame the 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 followers. You never. And didn't Mark Twain write something about Uh, Joseph Smith? Yeah, Mark Mark Twain definitely found a lot of entertainment from Joseph Smith and the Mormons. But, but Joseph Smith was literally one of those glass liquor scryer charlatans. He he admitted, uh, you know, by eighteen twenty seven when he was trying to marry a woman he liked. He admitted to his father-in-law that he was deceiving people the whole time and uh, never could see in his peepstone in a hat. And And he actually was taken to court and convicted of 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 being a nuisance or disturbance of the peace for this sh- fraud. Now, when the jig was up and he knew that he was going to be having a life in prison, if he kept with that con, what he did is what L. Ron Hubbard did. He pivoted. And this is what Keith Raniere did. He pivoted and he he created the story. Well, actually, he had created this years earlier that an angel had come to him and promised him that uh, he would be able to recover some golden plates from the side of a hill. And with the gift and power of God through these magical spectacles, he'd be able to translate these golden plates from reformed Egyptian, which according to the quote angel, was a history of the Native American people who, according to the angel, were ancient Israelites that had traveled by boat 600 BC before Christ to America and were the the colonizers, if you could call it that, of America. So according to the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith, Jews built boats, sailed to America, and colonized North, Central, South, and North America. That's all in the Book of Mormon. I'm not making any of this up And that's what Joseph Smith produced in 1830 was what's called the Book of Mormon. And um, it was his next sort of con. And he claimed, again, to have been able to find the book and translate the book through special powers. And then there was a group of gullible New Englanders who were willing to believe him. And so he's like, wow, this religion thing might really take off. Like L. Ron Hubbard, he he followed that rule where if you want to get rich, if you want to get really rich... You know the you know the completion of the quote Start a religion. Start a religion. And so he started Yeah, a except
0: I'd say Hubbard copied Smith since he was like
1: a hundred years before. It's gotta not be the true. Other way. It's gotta be true. And so Smith yeah. started Mormonism in 1830, and you know, he was assassinated in eighteen forty four because he was sleeping with at least thirty different women. Most most of them were many of them were married to other men, some of them were as young as fourteen years old. So like that whole Keith Raniere Nexium cult thing. Joseph Smith mastered 150 years in upper state New York before Keith Raniere ever, uh, ever decided. Right, to that
0: be- was Elmira, New York, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, but,
1: but, but literally uh, in an hour drive, I'm guessing.
0: It's power, money, and sex is, seems to be the universal with cult leaders. And sex seems to fall into so many cases. So he got a revelation that he should like sleep
1: with his friend's Daughters wow. and wives. So that's the funny thing. So the the first the first known instance of him cheating on his wife was way back, you know, let's just say three to five years after he started his church, like in eighteen thirty-three to eighteen thirty-five, there was this uh woman, this this maiden who was like his housekeeper, like his wife Emma, Joseph Smith's wife Emma, caught him in the barn having sex with Fanny Alger. And one of his top leaders, Oliver Cowdery, found that out and accused him of adultery. And of course, Joseph Smith excommunicated his, you know, his closest, his the, the scribe for the Book of Mormon, Oliver Cowdery, served as his scribe to the Book of Mormon. But he, he had
0: dared to attack yeah. the leader and yeah. say that he was doing naughty. So
1: Oliver was out, and that was the first right. time Joseph Smith, but that was ironically like seven years or seven or eight years before Joseph ever received a revelation from God that he was even supposed to be practicing polygamy. Uh, But eventually when he, when Joe, this is inexplicable. Joseph was like 20 to 25 wives into his polygamy before he ever told his wife, Emma. And it could be anywhere between 15 and 25. Honestly, Joseph Smith had so many wives. It's hard to keep track of when and where he had, which wife. And 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 how many he had, frankly. But somewhere right. between fifteen and twenty-five wives, his wife found out that he was that he was a polygamist, and she freaked out, and then he just miraculously produced a revelation, which now still lives in Mormon scripture as Doctrine and Covenants, section one thirty-two, um where where the Lord sort of where the where the Lord, that's what Mormons call God, where the Lord right. ex post facto uh granted him sort of like retroactive permission to be sleeping with 14 year olds and other men's wives and, uh, sister pairs and mother daughter pairs. It was just, it was rampant, uh, probably, you know, I don't know, philandering, I guess on Joseph's part and that, that, that and other fraud led to him being assassinated in, uh, which, you know, no one's happy about in 1844, he was assassinated. Right. Right. So,
0: um, I do want to just comment, because I've been at this for 45 years, learning, but um, I seem to remember a front-page story in the New York Times, I think, of some very prominent Mormons. When the internet came into existence, they discovered all these original texts, and they started reading it, and then they realized that modern church was lying to them, and it created a... Talk a little bit about About the internet, and just, you know, when people actually can go back to check out the teachings that they received and they always believed, comparing it with what actually was.
1: Yeah. So, so this part's kind of inexplicable, uh, unless you understand cults. And you, one of the reasons why your book blew me away, Combating Cult Mind Control, is because it explained to me what my experience had been. So one, you know, as you, I don't mean to be telling you about the bite model, but as you no, know, but I
0: didn't, I didn't write it originally, knowing about the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses, and it was ex-members like yourself that reached out and said, "Let me tell you what's actually
1: going on." Well, Steve, you know the bite model: uh, B stands for behavior, I stands for information, information, T stands for thoughts, and E stands for emotion. And what we all, what you helped us understand about cults or high-demand religions is that they need to control the information so that then they control your thoughts because they don't want you having doubts or questions about the church. So ironically, so I'm 52 years old. I was born in the church as a sixth generation Mormon. I went through 30 years of like infinite curriculum, Sunday school, elders quorum, priesthood, a full-time two-year mission, early morning seminary every morning for an hour, for all four years of high school, intense religious destruction of BYU. In all that time, in all that time, all through the 80s and 90s and 2000s, I did not know that Joseph Smith was a polygamist, as just one example. Now, this was before the internet got really big. Um, right. I didn't know that Joseph Smith, uh, th- that there were huge anachronisms in the Book of Mormon, like it's mentioning horses and steel and swords, things Native Americans never had during the time of the Book of Mormon, so that proves right there, the Book of Mormon is false. Just like if Abraham Lincoln, if there was a photo with Abraham Lincoln and an iPhone, you'd know that that photo was doctored. <laughs> the Book of Mormon has horses, Good steel. I yeah. like that horses, steel, wheat, silk, chariots. You know, uh, just a, a gazillion anachronisms, including plagiarisms from the version of the Bible that Joseph Smith right. had. Like the Book of Mormon's a fraud. I didn't know that growing up. Uh, Joseph Smith used a peepstone in a hat. I didn't know about his treasure digging growing up uh, into adulthood. I didn't know that he used the same peepstone in the hat to treasure dig uh, that he used to also translate the Book of Mormon. I didn't know that the golden plates weren't even in the room when Joseph Smith allegedly was translating the Book of Mormon. So God has ancient Native Americans create golden plates which of course they didn't have the technology to ever create in the first place. But according to you know Joseph Smith, God has Native Americans create golden plates to write their history on. He has them keep them, preserve them, defend them, bury them, and then he has an angel deliver them to Joseph Smith so that Joseph Smith can translate them. And then anyone who's in the room admits that when Joseph Smith was actually translating the Book of Mormon, the plates were not even in the room and he was looking into his hat. With the right. stone, which was the same hatton stone that he used as a treasure digger, right? Well, well, guess what? None of us knew this growing up. The church found a way to keep all of this information from us, along with the reasons why he was killed, along with the bankruptcy of, of, of an important bank that he founded, and right. all the deception. And so, so,
0: how to give our very briefly give a, give our listeners how what was your wake up moments? Yeah, like, what was the so?
1: So here's another amazing thing, Steve. The niece of one of our prophets. So let's, you know, like you said, the Mormon prophet, according to Mormons, just like Reverend Sun Young Moon, basically. Oh, don't right. call
0: him a reverend when you talk with oh, me. No. Sorry. What should I call him? The Sun Myung Moon or okay. the Moon, the Moon leader. So just like Sun Young Moon, because he he put a hand over his head and said, "I'm a reverend." Right. And he right. did that over me. I was Reverend Steve Hassan in the movies, yeah. huh? Yeah. Anyway, well, go like, on.
1: Just like L R H. Just like. Uh, just right. like Sun Young Moon, uh, the Mormon prophet literally speaks to and for God. Not just Joseph Smith, but the modern Mormon prophet as well. Right. His currently his name is Russell M. Nelson. I think he's like 97 or 98 years old. Anytime, you know, so so anyway, um, so we're taught that our our Mormon prophets speak for God. So back in the 1940s, the president or prophet of the church was named David O. McKay. He had a niece who figured out all the stuff about Joseph Smith before anybody else did just by going back to the University of Chicago and studying the original documents. Get this, Steve. This is how great the Mormon Church has been at hiding information from its members. In in 1945, Von Brody, Von McKay Brody, comes out with a book called No Man Knows My History, which to this day is the best biography about Joseph Smith ever written. written and by I bought it on yeah. your say-so. Written by. I haven't read it yet. In 1945, she's a legend, and the Mormon Church has kept its followers from ever even learning about this book, let alone reading it, for like 70 or 80 years. And so, when information control, yeah. So basically, exactly. So basically, when I was working for Microsoft in Seattle, um, I started studying church history more in depth, and I started stumbling on some questions that I had. And I'd been afraid to read this book. I knew that it existed, but I had been warned that Fon Brody was evil, that she was a lesbian. And I'm using that term as a way that the church would Talk about and, right. and smear people. To demean them. To, to right. demean them. So I was always afraid to read the book. Finally, after uh, learning some problems, I read the book and it was just all there. It had been in that book all along, but 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 I hadn't read it. So I had my wife read it. And that's when I learned that the church wasn't what it claims to be. And that was right around 2001, right as the Internet was really starting to take hold. Google was starting to become more prevalent. And I just I realized that that that, you know, 150 plus years of Mormonism, Mormons had been misled and deceived by the church. But there was no resources to help us out. Like nobody understands other than you and maybe people who have been in a high demand religion or a cult, nobody understands how hard it is. You go to a secular therapist and they're like, just leave your religion. What's the big deal? No, that's not what happens when you leave a high demand religion or a cult. So yeah. Yeah, But my recollection in your story
0: was you were in a work environment and you found out some of the people who you really liked as coworkers were gay and they didn't have horns growing out of their heads. Yeah, not but talk not, about about yeah. your realization about the homophobia that you learned existed.
1: Yeah, so like I grew up I don't I wouldn't say overtly homophobic. I wasn't like intentionally going out and trying to harass or demean uh, gay people, but certainly I was taught to fear gay people as a Mormon and to think of them as perverted. And I'm, I'm using offensive words, but these are the moonies were,
0: are the same. They're homophobic and they say you're perverted and satanically. Yeah, like I influenced. Would have, the
1: words I would have been taught to associate with LGBT people are perverted, disgusting, gross, defiled, apostate, right. you know, just the worst possible words. Right. Um, so, so that's how I would have been raised all the way through college. Right. And while I was at Microsoft, uh, it was around 2000, uh, a uh, a Mormon, a gay Mormon named Stuart Mattis. I was I was like browsing the news on the internet at Microsoft and I read this article that this young Mormon return missionary named Stuart Mattis drove up to his local church parking lot, got out of the car, pinned a note to his chest that said do not resuscitate. And this is a little bit graphic, so a bit of a trigger warning for those who are paying attention. He hmm. shot himself in the head on the steps of his Mormon, local Mormon church in California. And that was the first time I was like, what in the world would make somebody do that? And it turns out that he was gay. So then my wife's cousin, uh, Scott comes out as gay while I'm at Microsoft. And Scott's like a NCAA golfer, amazing human, really loving and thoughtful. And, but he told us, even though he was raised Catholic, he told us that he had contemplated uh, death by suicide um, just out of fear of having to come out, and so that's when I started like really realizing that this LGBT thing was was a real problem. And then, of course, I had some coworkers um, also come out to me. I had been I'd said some homophobic things, and they had called me on it. And let's just say suffice this to say that after my faith crisis, I became more open to questioning what the church had taught me about everything, including women and minorities and and, and people of color. And and so by two thousand five two thousand six, I definitely had an an awakening and became a real ally. I tried tried to become a real ally to the LGBTQ community. Oh, I
0: think you succeeded. are but you were a PhD at that point, so you had training, right? Well, no, when I started
1: the podcast in two thousand five, I I was not. I was just left Microsoft and. I started the podcast, and now that, that's when I was pursuing pursuing my master's in instructional technology. But I started my PhD in 2009, and by 2010, I had said, I'm going to do a, a dissertation on the LGBTQ Mormon experience. And so we studied 60. We wanted to destroy conversion therapy or reparative therapy. Yes. So,
0: well, it's not reparative, and it's not conversion. It's brainwashing torture. programs. The Moonies had their version of it. To convince people who are gay that they're really straight, yeah, and to indoctrinate them over and over and over. Problem is, it doesn't work. Not just Even, that,
1: but it, it leads people to be suicidal and, and yeah, depression and anxiety. It's, yeah. it's
0: it's abusive, traumatic, and horrible. I actually did a blog on it. Um, and talk about suicide and mental health in LDS.
1: Yeah, so. So the the situation is, is particularly stark with the Mormon LGBTQ community. So to touch back really quickly on the degree of power that the Mormon church has, I mean, obviously Mitt Romney was the Republican nominee for president. We have, Mor- Mormons have disproportionately high representation in the U.S. Senate, in the U.S. House of Representatives, in the State Department, in the FBI, in the CIA, in the military. Like, we are overrepresented everywhere in, in CEO, uh, you know, offices in, in Fortune 500 companies throughout the world. That wakes me very nervous, John. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. So, But it's true. It's true. And just to give you a sense for how much power and money the Mormon Church has, when, when same-sex marriage was legalized in California prior to 2008, the Mormon Church led the charge, led the Catholics, led the evangelicals led all of the other religions to uh, to pass, to pass proposition 8, which for a short period of time literally took away the rights of Californians to be same-sex married. That was the Mormon Church that invested 40, 50, 60 million dollars plus untold, effort and volunteer labor by by Mormons throughout the country. And is it safe to say that came from the top? A thousand down? Thousand, and the church denied denied uh having any financial involvement and it was it was uncovered and discovered to have lied. But somebody can't just take fifty million dollars of the
0: church's money and put it to a political action effort without it coming from
1: the very senior people. Right? Yeah, yeah. So the, so the, think about this. One, one religion that represents less than 1% or 2% of the U.S. population, one super wealthy, powerful religion, was able to take marriage away from tens of thousands of people in a sovereign U.S. state. That's what the Mormon Church did to LGBT people in the state of California. That was in 2008. And since then, if you want to track LGBT youth and young adult suicides within Utah, you just see, starting in 2008, LGBTQ youth suicides in, in Utah just uh, skyrocket. And within uh, just a few years, Utah led the nation in LGBTQ youth suicides. And the suicide rate of um, LGBTQ youth in Utah was somewhere between two and three times the national average. And yeah. so uh, there's a really great documentary called Believer that the front man of Imagine Dragons, Dan Reynolds, uh produced with HBO along with the front man of neon trees. His name is Tyler Glenn. Uh, they actually had me in that documentary. It was, a I watched it. It was yeah. great. Yeah. But it, it just, awesome. it chronicles the, the suicide epidemic and, and, and the suicides just continued. Now the Mormon church is trying to blame it on the altitude, They're trying to blame it on me. Like, they're trying to blame it on anyone other than kind of— Yeah, blame it on the
0: whistleblowers who are trying to preserve human rights and democracy. Blame
1: reversal. It's a— Freedom
0: to think for yourself. Yeah. Um, And I just want to go a little bit into political stuff. So isn't it true when Mitt Romney voted to impeach Donald Trump?
1: the mormons like treated him like a pariah is that true yeah totally true so so utah historically is always in the top 3 most red states in the united states it's like uh-huh. wyoming and maybe some southern state like alabama or something uh-huh. like you can just always count on utah to be the most red state there have been a couple exceptions to that and um there's this guy named evan mcmullen that ran as an independent candidate i think when when hillary clinton was running and mm-hmm. I, I don't think, I don't think the Mormon, you know, I don't think the Mormon church wanted Donald Trump to win Utah that, uh, election, but they certainly didn't want Hillary to win. So they, they, they ran an independent to kind of siphon off Hillary votes, uh-huh. but, but suffice it to say Utah is gaga over Donald Trump. Uh, and, uh, you know, Utah has some of Donald Trump's strongest supporters. Uh, disproportionate. Doesn't to,
0: it come from the top though? That
1: well, that that I, kind of messaging.
0: I'll that be honest, this is.
1: I think many of the church leaders would would acknowledge that Donald Trump isn't good for marketing, isn't good for PR. So the church maybe isn't going to come out and say Donald Trump's a bad man and don't vote for him. There is certainly a probably a majority of top level Mormon church leaders will always be voting red. They will always be voting Republican. And and so that means they'll vote Donald Trump in. But I, I don't want to say, I don't want to misrepresent the Mormon church and say that they're proud to be his biggest supporter, because honestly, I think uh, many would, would say he's he's super high risk, if not, right. you know, in embarrassment.
0: But I heard people were literally booing yeah. Romney, yeah. who no, were man. Mormons,
1: which... You know, was is it wasn't he a bishop at one point? Oh, he's been a Mormon stake president, which is like higher than a bishop. Like Mitt okay. Romney is a, is a very high level Mormon, and so yeah. that
0: must have created a lot of dissonance in people's minds
1: for him to say what he said. Yeah, if you if you go, if you YouTube like Mitt Romney booed airplane, yeah, he's like flying from Salt Lake. You know, this is right around, right right before the uh, January 6th kind of uh, storming of the Capitol. But you would hear Utahns shouting down and booing and chanting that they hate uh, Mitt Romney. And by the way, like, you know, I was, I was a huge Mitt Romney fan when he was governor of Massachusetts because he was a moderate, you know, governor. He was. I, I was here. And as a Mormon, uh, he was, it seemed to be pro-choice on abortion. And yep, even health care. And not, yeah, and not opposed to same sex marriage. And so I'm like, whoa, we got a progressive Mormon running a, a non Utah right. state. What's not the love? So I was disappointed when he ran for president and kind of like r- ran away from many of his moderate or progressive stances. Um, right. But, but yeah, I, I, I was, I was really, my, my, my uh, pride in Mitt Romney was restored a bit when he, as a lone voice in the Republican Party on multiple occasions.
0: I cheered for Stoodle. him. Yes. Which was up. an ironic place to be, but somebody going, you know, my conscience says this is wrong. This is a con artist, whatever. Yeah. There's so many more points I want to ask you, and we don't have forever. I, I don't do a three-hour thing <laughs> like you do. That's probably so good. I'm jealous of that. That's probably But good. I want to ask you a few other uh, points, if I may. Sure. So it's I've come to... Um, well, on your point about missionaries and two-year commitment, uh, I remember an old PBS special on Mormon missionaries, and I was astounded at how cultish it was. They had to be in twos. They, 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 they Talk about the restrictions on Mormon missionaries.
1: Yeah. There, when I did that analysis, You know, in your book, combating Mind Control, you don't just stop at the bite model. You have like eight or 10 or 15 bullets per, you know, letter. And so when I did my, my color coding analysis, I did it on the sub bullets and, and I would say the Mormon church got a green, you know, there's green, yellow, and red. I think I did. I think the Mormon church got green on, let's just say 75% of the items, but there were several items that got, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They got red. A, I was going to say, my, my uh, recollection is was a lot of red, yeah, which is my, my, indicative of authoritarian control. My mistake. Go on. But but there were some there were some things that you know we're not as bad as the Scientologists. We don't beat right. we don't beat our members physically. We don't incarcerate uh, you know our our president's wife and then she disappears for ten years. And so right. you know, th- and some of the shunning that let's just say the Jehovah's Witnesses do. You know, Mormons can shun, but but people don't shun quite like the Scientologists or the Jehovah's Witnesses. So anyway, right. um, the but the one thing I did find is that in the areas where the Mormon Church got a, a yellow or a green, many of those yellows or greens turned red if you if you put them in a missionary context. So right. yeah, as a Mormon missionary, you're not allowed to ever be alone unless you're in the bathroom. Literally, you're if. <coughs> you are always in surveillance by um, your partner. When, when you arrive in a foreign country as a Mormon missionary, they take your passport away for two years. You're not even allowed to return home. That's what permission. Jim Jones did. It took the yeah. passports away yeah. from all the followers. Mormon Go missionaries' on. passports are taken away. They're given Do more. their monthly stipend. Um, yeah, before we made a huge stink about it for a for hundred years, you were only allowed to call home twice a year as a Mormon missionary, um, once on Mother's Day and once on Christmas. Um, now, to be fair, the Mormon church changed that just in the past few years, but that's the type of mission that most of us grew up in. And right. the only reason the church made the change is because we, the church critics, made a huge public stink about this for years and years and years. And and we've been embarrassing the church into making changes, but that doesn't erase the century-plus you know, era of, of cult-like behavior. Um, yeah, you, you know, the, the church would often not let you even seek proper medical care or mental health care as a missionary. And you would work from basically six 30 in the morning to like nine 30 at night and get this Mormon missionaries pay to be salespeople for the Mormon church. So it's not like the church is paying them or it's not like, you know, the church just pays all their expenses. Mormon missionaries pay something like five or $600 a month to have the privilege of being salesman for the Mormon. And they often
0: have to ask their relatives to fund them, right, to pay for that? Totally, totally. Uh, 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 Talk about the tithing for a
1: few sentences. Yeah, the the Mormon church uh, requires 10% of the income of every member to be in good standing. And what this literally means is, let's just say I'm a Mormon dad, and I— Either I'm super poor and I can't afford, or I lose my faith in the Mormon church, but my daughter or my son is about to get married in a Mormon temple, the Mormon church will literally exclude a parent from the marriage or the wedding of their own child if they don't pay 10% of their income to the church. And it's gross, not net. Well, some some do gross, some do net, but the church I intentionally see. leaves it ambiguous and culturally... Many members are pressured to pay ten percent of their gross, but ten percent of their net for life—that's kind of uh, extreme. Well, that's from. how they got it, their
0: hundreds it, of billions of dollars. Yeah,
1: yeah. Now,
0: aren't they also into survivalism? My understanding is they have stockpiles of food and weapons for Armageddon. Talk about that for a few.
1: Yeah, f- a fun little fact in our history: when um, when Dwight D. Eisenhower was president he called a Mormon as the secretary of agriculture. And that Mormon who became a prophet or president of the church is my cousin, Ezra Tap Benson. And when Ezra Tap Benson was secretary of agriculture, he became like a John Bircher, you know, ultra conservative Mormon. And when he, when, when he was, you know, released from his position as secretary of agriculture for a good 10 years, he ran around the country uh, spewing sort of new world order, conspiracy theory, uh, the world is ending kind of, uh, ultra conservatism that was also anti-Semitic, by the way. And, and it whipped the church up into this sort of like end times, uh, you know, fanaticism that of course the Jehovah's witnesses and many other conservative Christian traditions have uh, followed. So yeah, it became a requirement for all Mormons to have a year's worth of food storage in their basement. Many, many Mormons would have a year's storage of water, of of medicines, and also of of munitions. And right. in in current years, it's called the prepper movement. But if you want to really have your mind blown, check out the Mormon prepper movement, which is like an ultra right-winged schism within Mormonism. But yep. it's in the mainstream Mormon church. And if you look at the name Chad Daybell or Lori Oh, Ballo, yeah, I've done interviews about that case. These yeah. guys who killed their own children and spouses... Yeah. Uh, they were preppers and they came right out of this Mormon prepper movement uh, where, where basically it's like the, the world is ending next year. We all need to go up into tent cities and, and sell all our 401ks and uh, prepare for the end times. And yeah. I, I would not want to be a modern Mormon prophet because they're getting gobsmacked on the left by people like me. And they're getting gobsmacked on the right by these preppers and fundamentalists and polygamists and yeah. the, the church is just in a, in a free fall. So I I
0: recently watched, John, a documentary called The Forgotten Prisoner, uh, which was the uh, true documentary about a uh, Islamic man who was captured and basically tortured uh, mercilessly, still in Guantanamo Bay. Um, And the reason I'm bringing it up is because I learned in this documentary, I'd actually learned before this, but it was really brought to life that the CIA ordered two Mormons who were, supposedly were bishops and they resigned their post to torture people for America to supposedly find out information which would never work anyway because people will say anything to stop the torture. It's actually
1: uh, I, I, it's actually slightly worse than that as I understand it when Rumsfeld or Cheney or whoever it was, wanted the ability to torture. It was a Mormon attorney that drafted the memo. Is my understanding is that it was a Mormon yep. attorney that drafted the memo that became the legal justification for torture. And then there were Mormon military officers. Well, that's fascinating
0: because I was wondering, how does the CIA spend $180 million paying two Mormons who, once a psychologist, but who knew nothing about interrogation to basically fly around and torture people violating international law, violating our human rights conventions. Um, And so that Mormon connection is interesting. I also, when you said Benson was involved with John Birch, that was new information. I have to dig into that a little bit more. But I have a really hard question to put you to, and you can answer it or ignore it or answer it any way that works for you. But I wrote a book called The Cult of Trump, and I talk in the book about actual cults that were mobilizing their people to vote for Donald Trump and to pass legislation, et cetera, et cetera. And and understanding this, I confess, I didn't add the Mormons. like It was not in my, I did the family, Opus Dei, New Apostolic Reformation, the white supremacists, the NRA i miss the mormons but um i guess my my question is what's your best guess if 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 someone is raised four generation mormon six generation and they're an fbi agent and they're being told that cult mind control is a factor uh on radicalization would you be D- you know diminishing it in your mind would you be cu- more curious and if you were being given spiritual instruction from the prophet or some other person you look up to and it contradicts what your oath of office to the constitution like talk to me about your best guess since you mentioned fbi cia and other politicians uh
1: what do you think? Yeah. Well, tell me if I don't hit your question, but I'll I'll give it my best shot. What many people don't know is that uh, the Mormon church, as I mentioned prior, is overrepresented in the CIA and the FBI. Um, yep. And that's not just because many of them speak a, a second language, which is obviously something that's needed in the CIA and potentially in the FBI. It's also because Mormons are just amazing uh, well, they're, they're trained to be obedient. They're trained to, f- to obey authority. Um, yep. and, and so Mormons are just, can be amazing, uh, company men, so to speak. And so right. if, if, and because of our heritage over the past 30 or 40 years of being staunch Republicans, uh, you know, if, if Dick Cheney, I mean, there's, there's, there's the Mormon prophet and then there's the Republican president of the United States is right there, uh, probably, you know, right under the church leaders in terms of like, who's being led by God, because it's in the Doctor Joseph Smith taught it's in, you know, American exceptionalism was alive and well during the time of Joseph Smith with the whole manifest destiny, all that. So Joseph Smith wrote into Mormon scripture, American exceptionalism. So, you know, it's, it's super normal for Orthodox Mormons to be pro constitution, pro America, America is the best the republican president is next to the prophet and let's obey and do whatever they say
0: right and they're not supposed to drink alcohol yeah no yeah and be very moral and no alcohol, clean no
1: tobacco no coffee no tea no spirits but swearing. forgive
0: me i'm going to press you and yeah. you don't oh. need to answer if i am a mormon and i'm so i'm going to give you a real life example of what is causing this question so I happen to have been outspokenly critical of the FBI and the ATF regarding the Waco siege. And I, I was very active trying to get my expertise through my congressman through to Janet Reno, to the FBI. And they were like, we've got this covered. We know what we're doing. And I'm like, you obviously don't. If you're playing music, all night long of these boots are made for walking and shooting their dog and running over their car. You don't understand what you're doing. And the long story short is decades later, I met uh, with two of the top FBI negotiators. They read my books and they were like, we wish we knew you existed. One of the negotiators said, you need to be teaching at Quantico are you open to it? I said hypothetically, why not? And after three months, he said, uh, "I checked, and they're not interested in outsiders." And I said, "Oh, that's weird." And I said, "So you know, can you tell me who you asked?" Uh, my Mormon buddy, yeah, was the answer. Yeah. So that's why I'm wondering if there's an internal pressure from having grown up in a controversial religion that's called the cult if you're trying to do your job and serve the country and the constitution what would your
1: prediction be that uh, happens in these folks minds so mormons it's a, it's a tricky it's a tricky subject because mormons are comfortable probably saying you know first of all mormons aren't aware of a lot of things outside of mormonism they don't know a lot about other religions they don't really, they're not big connoisseurs of the news, unless it's Fox News these days. You won't yep. have a lot of Mormons reading the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. That will, A minority of Mormons would ever check out those publications. And Mormons aren't great about history because we're, it's so dangerous for a Mormon to start right. learning history that many Mormons are just like, we're great accountants, we're great lawyers, we're great dentists, we're great orthodontists. Not not a lot of great Mormon historians, although there's, there's a few exceptions to that. But most Mormons are unaware of most other religious traditions or cults, but right. Mormons would be okay calling Jim Jones a cult. They'd be okay calling Charles Manson a cult leader. And maybe they, they, you know, the Mormons are grateful for L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology only because they make Mormons look a little bit less weird. But, but Mormons aren't, you know, Mormons aren't super cult aware, but Mormons don't like the word cult because so many Mormons are often called, you know, cult members, usually historically by evangelical Christians and Baptists. And so right. Mormons generally would be uncomfortable with the use of the word cult. And anyone who would ever apply that cult term to a member of the Mormon church, their their persona non grata. So as an example, if these FBI or CIA people had any idea, Steve Hassan, that you would ever apply the BITE model to Mormons, they certainly would have immediately disqualified you.
0: And by the way, if I- That's my hypothesis, and also censored in the media. For sure. There's a lot of powerful people in the media that have cult affiliations they don't want the public to understand how oh, much the
1: mind can be manipulated. The Mormon church, abs- through its law firm Curtin and McConkie and through its billions and billions of dollars and, and well-placed executives all through corporate America, if, if the Mormon story catches wind of an unfavorable story that's going to come out on Nightline or, or 2020 or 60 Minutes, pick your kind of expose news source. The Mormon Church absolutely has the power to threaten and or squelch that type of story, and yep. so and so that that's that's a fact, and so yeah, you have to, you know, you just have to realize that that's what you're dealing with. And by the way, Nippy and and um, if if you watch the, Sarah Sarah and Nippy, if you watch The Vow on HBO, there's this quote from The Vow, which I know is not original, but but we've all heard it before. Nobody joins a cult, right? What what, what you join is an amazing happy, uh, fulfilling community, whether that's, you know, wild, wild country on Netflix or, you know, Jim Jones or Guyana, you, you join this beautiful, loving community. And that's what most Mormons are either born into or join. Right. It's this you know, who doesn't love Donnie Marie Osmond? Who doesn't love, you know, happy families and smiley people. And, and this is the one thing, Steve, I, I really need to get in really quickly is that Mormons are fundamentally good people. 100%. I, yeah, Moonies I'm, are good people too. Yeah. I'm not anti-Mormon. I'm not anti-Mormonism. Uh yep. because Mormon people are fundamentally decent, kind, loving people. And that's right. what that's what's so insidious about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because they're not as hardcore as L. Ron Hubbard or the Scientologists or the Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, some may be, but most aren't. Because the Mormon leaders are they're culty enough to exert undue influence on its members, but they're just nice enough to avoid a lot of the most extreme behaviors like Jehovah's Witnesses and Scientologists. I call this the, the, the it's the notion of nice cult. The Mormon Church is the nicest and most rich and powerful cult in the world, in my opinion. Well, that's what they say. I don't know that I would do the nice part. Sorry. Well, I mean— Well, nice can be insidious. You know, for example, when I was excommunicated by my top church leaders, they were smiley, they said, I love you. And someone once said that being excommunicated in the Mormon church, and I'm going to use a tiny bit of a harsh term here, uh, is like being raped by care bears. Because they're nice, but you're, you're basically getting abused, psychologically and emotionally abused, when you're excommunicated. But they'll tell you they love you. And they'll hug you and they'll smile at you and they'll give you chocolate chip cookies while they're psychologically and emotionally uh terrorizing and abusing. Yeah, and they're discriminating against your, you know, former members for their right to
0: decide that this is not fulfilling them or that they found a better place for their spiritual growth or whatever. It's horribly traumatizing speaking as a mental health professional. Yeah. Yeah. You know, John, I, I wanna I can't end this without mentioning that Utah, I believe, is the multi-level
1: marketing capital of the United States. Yeah, sure is. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen the latest uh, Netflix uh, series about... Re- Lulu Rich, rich returned, yeah. Roe about yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, I, I actually, most MLM scams that come out of Utah, I really think have their origins in Joseph Smith, because whether it's the essential oils, or the the milkshakes and the drinks or the vitamin supplements, there's almost always kind of a supernatural element to it where yeah. you imbue in foreign objects way more power than they're ever allowed to have. Just like Joseph Smith imbued in his seer stone in the hat, the power right. to see buried treasure. For For decades, Mormons have been saying, this essential oil cures cancer, it cures arthritis, it'll cure your you know, your, your sex drive, you know, whatever it is. And so, but, but also the close, you you know, Steve, that the close social networks in some of these high demand groups become this breeding ground where confidence men can infiltrate or are upstanding members of, and they just use these social networks within Mormonism to spread the the early um, years of the, the, the pyramid schemes. And so,
0: right, yeah. it's the people at the beginning that make the money, and everyone else gets harmed. Ninety-nine point seven, I think percent, lose money yeah. doing multi-level marketing. I'm going to just add that I worry about cryptocurrency that isn't backed by government. Um, uh, that it, it sounds to me, it feels to me, like an MLM type scheme. Just believe in it. The the, the American system's falling apart. So you better invest in this, and you'll be a billionaire. You'll be set for life. And there it was It's just not. I. I think time will tell. But I. I warn people to not borrow and get into crypto. Yeah, my, my
1: view. I'm. I'm a little bit into crypto, but only as a hedge against inflation. But my advice. Good is luck. Don't. Well, my advice is don't. Don't invest any money in crypto that you can't afford to lose. Yes. Just that's always a good a good thing yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, but, in but, wrapping but, but, up, but yeah, MLM's John. MLM's are way too pervasive in Mormonism and a, we need more investigation into that for sure.
0: Yep. Yeah. And um, so in wrapping up, can you give some words of wisdom if people are listening to this, maybe they're they were raised in the Mormons, maybe they're thinking of converting to the Mormons? Or maybe it's someone who's thinking of joining another group, and they haven't done their real due diligence homework. Any words of wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, just, I mean, if somebody knows, you know, the biggest thing that I emphasize with the Mormon Church is informed consent, because pretty much almost all of the Mormons who were born into the Mormon Church were not educated properly about what they were born into. right? And almost every person ever baptized in the Mormon church you know you have africans uh converting to mormonism never being told that up until 1978 the mormon church literally excluded black people as second class citizens oh
0: i'm so glad you you added that cuz the uh, the racism piece is huge in the moonies and as it was in the in
1: in your former group yeah the mormon church has this awful horrific history of racism of, of telling Native Americans that their skin was dark. They still do this to this day. It's in the Book of Mormon that Native American's skin is dark because these ancient Native Americans sinned and were evil, and so God cursed their skin as dark to make them loathsome to the white people. And so that's is literally— that the,
0: the, That's the Shem, Ham, and Japheth no, story? No, or? that's
1: jo- pure Joseph Smith, Book Smith, of Mormon okay. uh, racism. But, but, of course, Joseph Smith was influenced by some of those racist Christian right. teachings of the day. But, right. yeah, whether it's whether it's bl- black Africans or Native Americans, the Mormon Church has one hundred and fifty plus years of awful racism. And it's just just in the past few decades where the Mormon Church has started to fix that. And my only point in saying all that is that is that black Africans and even African Americans in the United States are converting to Mormonism not knowing that within my lifetime, they would right. have been excluded from full membership of the church. And I think everyone deserves to know what they're a part of. So that's my biggest thing. And
0: indigenous people, I'm told, re- are been recruited into Mormonism as well, Yeah, in fact, turning their back on their heritage. They were the religion. primary
1: target of Joseph Smith when he first started Mormonism. He, he had it uh, for the Native Americans to become Christians. So it's pure— And you know, didn't
0: they take over a lot of their land and resources, or not? I mean, I that,
1: that's the history of the United States, not just uh, yeah. Mormonism. But, but Absolutely. But, but, but in Utah, specifically, where For sure, for sure. And so my advice to people, in short, is get educated. There's a document called cesletter.org. You can click on that, and in 80 pages, read everything you know, need to know about the Mormon Church. You can go to Mormon Stories Podcast, either on YouTube or on your Apple app. We've even got a TikTok channel now and you can just watch, um, you know, w- watch podcast episodes and learn about people's experiences in the Mormon church. We've got gay people who went through reparative therapy. We've got marriages that were destroyed by the Mormon church. We've got Mormon youth that were driven to almost suicidality just because they masturbated or, uh, you know, engaged in very normative sexual exploration. We've got uh black, you know, black, Mormons that talked about the racism they experienced. So just get educated. And if you know the full history and all the practices of the Mormon church and you're gay or lesbian or bisexual or, or African-American or, or black African or whatever, Native American or a woman, you know, but let's just not forget that, that yeah. women are still not allowed to hold high level leadership positions in the church. I'm we're, so glad you remember to add we're that. Whereas we're I... as patriarchal as a Catholic church, if not worse. So, yeah. um, so so if if you're any of those marginalized groups and you know all the information and then you decide to join the church or to stay in the church you know that's your choice.
0: Yeah, that's my position. Just go in with your eyes open and keep your critical faculties. Give yourself permission to question and doubt and give yourself permission to read the impermissible books or 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 literature. Um And wasn't there a big, like, Mormon leaks thing around some big pot of money, $100 billion or something? Yeah, yeah.
1: Just a few years ago, uh, a friend of mine named David Nielsen, along with his brother Lars Nielsen, uh, basically David Nielsen came out as a whistleblower where he worked for this uh, secret private uh, investment firm called Ensign Peak, which was owned by the Mormon church. And yep. it was revealed that they had over $120 billion in cash, stock, bonds, and real estate investments. Uh and and that's been growing uh for decades. And here's the most revolting part even though the Mormon Church is a nonprofit and uh it's able to grow all these assets a thousand hundred percent tax free, there are only two recorded uses. Of the 120 billion dollars in cash of an alleged of an allegedly Christian church, can you guess what the two are? Number one was to bail out a failed insurance company that the Mormon Church owned. That was the first use of a, you know half a billion or whatever dollars, and then another billion and a half dollars were used to bail out a commercial shopping mall that the church built in downtown Salt Lake City. So you know the, there was this joke around Mormonism: what mall would Jesus build? you know what consumer shopping mall would jesus build uh the, that's that's how the church has chosen to use 150 billion dollars 2 billion dollars of it went to bailout commercial ventures 0 dollars to this day have gone to 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 give water to feed the poor to to clothe the naked to feed the starving uh to to provide vaccines to to Yeah, I think that's should, that's just
0: wrong. That's immoral. And our laws have been corrupted by wealthy, powerful entities for their own self-aggrandizement and and money and power Yeah, The
1: Mormon Mormon Church is way closer to a corporation than they are to an actual uh, spiritual religious tradition in 2021. And wouldn't it be great for them to reform? I mean, yeah, we need reform across the board, because Jehovah's Witnesses are rich, Scientologists are rich. And the weird thing is these churches are getting wealthier as they shrink. So build, yeah. buildings are empty, members are fleeing like rats from a ship, and the churches right. are literally richer than God. The Mormon church at this point, I'm calling it, in 2021, the Mormon church is richer than God. Wow. Yeah. And, 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 and I always said after I probably. left the
0: Moonies, and Moon would say, God needs money, and I left the Moonies, they're like, God needs money? Why does God need? Yeah. Why does God?
1: Why does God need money? The all, almighty needs when, money. When Jesus comes back, is the Mormon Church going to Venmo him the the two hundred billion? Or are they going to PayPal him the two hundred billion? How is Jesus going to receive the the two hundred billion to then be able to use it to uh, usher in you know? Yeah, and how in, are people going to be gods of their own planets? Is
0: another good one.
1: Yeah. So I mean the the. The rabbit hole goes very deep, Stephen. John,
0: I could talk with you for hours and uh, we do need to schedule another one that's longer, but I thank you so profoundly, you're a good man. You're and, and I wanna just compliment your stance as a human being, but also doing the podcast for so long, because to me, the most powerful thing of all that you do, aside from speaking up for the people who've been oppressed, is just modeling that there's life after the LDS Church, that you can be happy, fulfilled, enjoy yourself,
1: have spirituality, uh, and contribute to society, right? Absolutely. We have a a podcast called Mormon Faith Crisis at mormonfaithcrisis.com. It's 80 hours of free coaching and therapy where all we're doing, we're not talking about the church, we're not talking about Joseph Smith. It's literally how to heal from being in a high-demand religion and how to pick up your your pieces and build a healthy, happy life. We also have the Thrive Foundation, which is just this. Uh, we had Sarah Nippy down. We need to have you, Steve Hassan, come speak at one of our next Thrive conferences. Please invite me. Yeah, we I'll absolutely come. will. But but Thrive is literally just building community of support for ex-Mormons and people who leave religious traditions. And wonderful. you can go to thrivebeyondreligion.com and learn all about what we're trying to do. But we don't hate the Mormon Church. We don't hate the Mormon Church leaders. We love Mormons. All we want to do is have people have informed consent and then to help people who decide that the Mormon church isn't for them, just to help them heal and grow and live happy, healthy lives after they leave the church. It's great. Thank you for your good work, my
0: friends. Continued good health and wealth and, and happiness. And I'm just grateful that I have the opportunity to have a friend
1: and a colleague like you. Well, Steve Hassan, thanks for paving the way because we, you know, we, we stand on the shoulders of giants. How's that? And I stand on the shoulders of giants
0: too. So I'm just, you know, paying it forward, my friend. Let's keep it up. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode of the Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website, freedomofmind.com. There you will find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend reading my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, and freedom of mind in that order. These books are a culmination of 45 plus years of experience and will really help you fully grasp the complex web of undue influence. Thanks for listening.